Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 242 of the ETPHD team podcast with myself and Anna. Hi Anna, how are you? Hello, I am good, thank you. How are you? I am also good, thank you. And Danai, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. There was a little bit of a delay there. I'd just like to point out that it was Denai's Wi-Fi and not Denai herself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Wi-Fi is not the greatest, I've got to say. Maybe it is something else to blame the retrograde for. Uh, I feel like sometimes I just fall into a spiral of blaming the, my entire life on retrograde. And then when it syncs with your hormones, you're literally just like, the, nothing is within my control, sorry. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <sighs> okay. Anybody got anything wild to start with? No, nothing wild, nothing wild. But it has been a week of accepting that, uh, like you say, just things are outside of our control and we have to sit with it and accept it. Correct, correct. Um, I was, I think you guys a podcast earlier this week because I was listening to, um, I was reading an article about the economics of thinness and I was listening to this podcast on it. And it's actually, the article was written or published in The Economist. And it's actually wild. It was looking at the association between thinness and um, quote-unquote richness. And there's this association that, um, it, at least in the developed world, um, richer people tend to be thinner and thinner people tend to be richer. Like there's that association, right? And which is sad and scary and you would think like often when you hear that kind of association you think oh maybe it's because of socioeconomic status and all of these other factors that contribute to you know um, especially with higher cost of living and people who tend to have less money or uh, income for quote-unquote healthy foods etc tend to um, have higher BMIs but what was really wild about this and the reason I'm talking about it is because um, and by the way this only happens when people um, when you move into the overweight category so you don't see this association with like a BMI between like 18 and 25 it's not like the thinner you get anyway regardless it's, uh, this is not me telling you to get thin to get rich this is not it's an association it's not a causation anyway you would think it was because of these socioeconomic factors but what's really really scary is when you take men out of the equation it's only women that you see this association with with men you don't see this association if and if anything overweight men tend to be richer than quote-unquote normal weight men but with women they are they are the entire driving force of this relationship between thinness and richness which is awful and terrifying and such a such a scary kind of association to make and I'm mindful of even saying it on the podcast because like again, thinness is not driving income. But what's also interesting is that the association is not there for people of color. It's white females that drive this association, which is extremely interesting. Um, 
and like I don't know like there's no real answer to it but we obviously work with a lot of coaches and personal trainers and and we know and we've spoken about this research before that often people's perception of a personal trainer can be driven in part by the way that they look and then as a female personal trainer on top of that you've got this drive for thinness and like how do what annoys me in this world is that we have people sharing the right message we have people sharing you know your body is the least interesting thing about you and you don't have to be have a certain body shape to be successful and all of these things are so important and so true but also at the same time it's like yeah but look at the research that we have like that no wonder people struggle with this stuff and and it's predominantly diet culture right um it's just it's it's sad um and wild that like that's but but yet I don't even know why it's unsurprising um anyway yeah I was looking I've been looking into that this week I haven't written about it yet I haven't shared anything on social media about it yet because I'm mindful of like without the nuanced discussion of like what what we're saying now I don't like to just put stuff out there because like it's unhelpful it's unhelpful without the context behind it um but it's as societally we certainly need to do better on that front yeah and I think the fact that you only say that with the women it says a lot in itself and I wonder what the correlation was behind that was it a case that there's more of a kind of similarly with the personal trainers more of a, a pressure to maintain a thin physique than thinking that that's going to support also my success in my career or also that more thin people thin people are more likely maybe to put themselves forward for promotions and job interviews because they feel more confident yeah possibly and and we know obviously that body image does not get does not improve with um being a certain bmi like we know that body image is not about bmi but self-esteem can be like women often especially white women so often tie self-esteem to their body size so maybe they feel in themselves that they have greater self-esteem or you know greater confidence to to go for things um and it's certainly something that we see we're working with our clients right people who maybe have a fat loss goal say well you know when I when I lose weight then I'll go for jobs when I lose weight then I'll start dating more and all these things and and that they fall into that arrivals fallacy of like when I do this then I'll be happier it's basically what what often comes up and we work a lot with people to encourage you know if, if this is you like to encourage you to do things now because one this is your life this is like the only day the time that you'll ever have this day but two when you wait for that end goal to do these things it can often increase your risk of things like quote-unquote self-sabotage use that term loosely um because of the fear that comes up with that so we don't like to do those things like it's waiting to do things before you've changed your body by any means but it is definitely something that a lot of people do believe that they think that when they feel a, when they're in a certain body size that they will then have the confidence to do things but there's research around like before I've spoken about the, the research with at Harvard and Columbia that took one CV and it looked at they changed the name men a man's name or a woman's name and it was a real woman's name it was a real woman's CV and people who people said that they would rather work with the man they said that they seem more friendly um, and they would like, like to be part of his team whereas the women's CV um, they were less likely to hire her they were she was more unlikable or less likable even though it was the same CV um, just with a different name on top and and there's another similar study that did it with people and they um, changed the shape of the person's face pictures on the face and it was a similar sort of result and it's like um, with their specific outcomes and it's it's 
awful but and, and I don't say I don't say this as a kind of I hope that this comes across in the right way in the sense of uh, one I definitely don't agree with it but I think awareness of this stuff is really important because me as somebody who you know works with a lot of people I'm always holding myself accountable to like any unconscious bias I have and about anything right gender etc but I think that we collectively have to be much more mindful of the unconscious bias that we have and especially around um like weight stigma and weight bias we know the prevalence of that um and I don't think we can talk about it enough but I think people shy away from talking about it because I would hate for people to think that like you know we subscribe to that because we obviously don't um but like I said I've been reading about this stuff all week and I still haven't spoken about it outside of the podcast because I want to be really mindful of how I communicate it so interesting and um a shame I think I don't mean a shame on a person I mean a shame on our society on that light note, let's crack on with questions. <laughs> um, Anna, do you want to go first? Yes. Um, is it possible to track your food and have a good relationship with food? Are there people you would recommend to track their food and who would you not? So two in one, but around tracking. It's definitely possible. It's definitely possible. But, but when we look at all of the research that we have so far, we know and we are pretty sure about this although science doesn't prove anything and it's always changing people with a more intuitive approach to nutrition who honor their hunger and fullness are more likely to um, experience a more positive body image and they're more likely to experience less dysfunctional eating habits um so if if someone held a gun to my head and was like what's the healthiest way to eat I'd say eat intuitively and I would say follow Mediterranean style dietary pattern if someone you know forced me to do that luckily that's never gonna happen but um you, you can have a decent relationship with food when you track but I don't think I would ever say that it would be the optimal kind of way of eating because again because of the the body of evidence that we have um <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's my stance on it. So in terms of who would you recommend to track and who wouldn't you, I would typically say anybody that is overeating or binge eating regularly to avoid tracking because ultimately there's that like yearning to track for the sense of control. But often with that will come the feelings of failure if you do end up having an overeating or a binge eating episode and it's going to kind of increase food preoccupation as well because you're constantly kind of having those calculations and making sure that you're on track and all of those other things in terms of who I would recommend to track I think it can be useful if uh, it can be useful in kind of getting to know a bit more about macros and what's in food if perhaps you're coming to us and your nutrition knowledge um, could do with improving. And I think sometimes as well, if you are working to restore your cycle, having that accountability, again, it's not for everybody doing that, but having that accountability and going that this is what, however many, however many calories looks like, this is what I need to be aiming for and getting used to kind of what perhaps meal sizes and serving sizes look like um, when you're working towards certain targets. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think um, 
you can also like people might track too if they've worked on their relationship with food and then they want to enter a fat loss phase sometimes people are scared to then retract like track again because they think well I've healed my relationship with food now um and last time I tracked it was really unhelpful and for some people that can be true but often if you're then tracking and you're struggling with overeating again it's maybe because you still need to work on your relationship with food um as opposed to specifically being an issue with tracking and um so I think, and I think sometimes it can be really empowering for people to, who maybe have struggled with the relationship with the food in the past. They want to drop some body fat for their health maybe. And then they realize that they have this good, that they can track and not, it not be an issue. Um, recently, there was a paper that came out. Um, I say recently, it was 2021 and it looked at um, four weeks of tracking. So basically all the data that we had, had like the cross-sectional data we had, which basically means they had two different groups, people who tracked, people who didn't. And then they looked at like disordered eating in these people, right? That was all the data that we had on tracking initially. And that said that tracking was associated with like dietary restraint, eating concerns, binge eating, weight and shape concerns, um, black and white thinking, etc. But then, so then someone did a four week study in people and women, 200 women-ish, and looked at what happened if they tracked for four weeks and there was no increase in disordered eating habits. And so I saw some people in the fitness space saying, have you seen this study, you know, tracking doesn't increase disordered eating risk. And it was like, fine, but that was tracking without any other metrics. So it was tracking without self-surveillance, without, you know, taking scale weight, without having this clear fat loss goal. It was just literally taking people who had no disordered eating risk in the first place, by the way, um, and that this was measured and then given them targets to track but they weren't looking at any other specific like dietary measures which often accompany tracking so it wasn't like a normal kind of tracking fat loss phase so to speak um, and it was four weeks realistic yeah, I was gonna say four weeks come on now <laughs> yeah but it was wild how many people and um I saw a post about it and say tracking is great but the thing is to like tracking is a tool a short-term tool it's not something that you that is there like tracking day in day out is not what you should be aiming for and as much as we don't do quote-unquote shoots we know that it's just it's not the most healthful way to to be and I'm sure there are a couple of people in there that maybe are some exceptions um but I'd say if you're listening to this it's probably unlikely that you are the exception okay when you have explored options to self-regulate during work days this person's a coach i.e journaling and it's caused greater emotional response walking and still feeling dysregulated any tips on how to not instantly then turn to the easter egg in the cupboard i was gonna say i'm impressed if there's still an easter egg in the cupboard (laughs) um i think being mindful in that some of these practices that you're going to be doing for self-soothing self-regulation can initially kind of cause some dysregulation um and like particularly with journaling obviously I mean we all know I absolutely love it but you are potentially going to be working through some really difficult thoughts and feelings and I guess it's checking in particularly if it's in a work day, okay, is this something that I need to be doing right now? Or do I need to be maybe kind of prioritizing some of my other tools to help regulate myself? And coming back to journaling when I can really kind of sit with those feelings and whatever comes up during that time. Yeah, I agree. I also think 
you know, we demonize emotional eating. We demonize it and say, you know, we want to get rid of it at all costs. And actually, what if emotional eating, and I know because I spoke to this person about it, you know, shit, I did feel a bit better. I did get a bit of temporary reprieve. And that's the thing, right? It's okay to get a little bit of temporary reprieve from emotional eating sometimes. And I think what this person's done is gone, okay, am I feeling my feelings? Yes. Am I doing what I can to regulate myself? Yes. Do I then, I've done the pause, I've done all the tools, do I then still want to have the Easter egg? Yes. Okay, well, why don't you just have the Easter egg mindfully? And that, And I think that the problem comes with like often the guilt and the shame and the kind of the expectation that, well, I've done all my tools and I'm still... I've done all the I tools. I still want it. Yeah, and I still want it. And it's like, shockingly, you still want a bit of reprieve from these hard feelings with something that is truly delicious because Easter egg chocolate is the pinnacle. So I would I would always kind of throw that question there of just sort of saying, like, actually, maybe it's okay. Maybe you don't need to have an answer for this. And if you allow yourself to sometimes eat an Easter egg when you're emotional, when you've done everything else and you're consistently doing all of these self-regulation and self-support tools then could it be that you're just a human being that sometimes likes the easter egg and especially when you're sad you what? know what but surely not as a coach as well <laughs> oh the other night i had a made they've got these um chips here two delicious foods i've discovered this week actually tortilla chips that are like um salt and lime and they are oh my god i made like homemade nachos with um them and like pico de gallo and oh exceptional but the real thing that i discovered do you like bubble tea it's something that i've actually never tried but really interested in trying and you keep talking about it so i'm like okay i'm gonna have to find somewhere you need to try it have i spoken about the ice cream already Mm. oh i've already spoken about it it's only because i got it again yesterday so it's (laughs) my mind oh my god okay well apart from that i don't think i've discovered anything amazing i've told you all about the biscuits anyway i just got distracted because i was thinking about the ice cream and i was like um i could emotionally eat some ice cream and some nachos but without the emotion i just want to eat them yeah yeah <laughs> um, okay continue on sorry totally dist- totally distracted you can tell i'm not had breakfast yet like we're talking about something completely different and i'm like yes yeah, so nachos <laughs> sorry <laughs> Um, tips on resetting after a disruptive few weeks of traveling with work. Don't reset. And what I mean by that is, um, we don't want to think about these times as like being off or on, resetting, disruption, all of these things. You've had like, I like to think of life in general, habits, etc., as much more fluid than that. And, and think of it kind of like, like the sea, like a wave. And sometimes things are going to feel really easy and peaceful. And sometimes things are going to be more challenging and like you said, kind of disrupted and um, a bit more chaotic. And and rather than thinking, okay, I need to, you know, well, how would you empty the sea? You can't. Rather than thinking, okay, what can I do to overhaul this and quote unquote reset? Think, okay, well, how can I get these waves from being really high and crashing around back to a more peaceful kind of soft shoreline um and so think about okay well what what do I feel is accessible to me what are the things that I find like quite easy to just implement again what are my non-negotiables and then just start there and I think something that I, I had a conversation with my clients who's a coach recently 
because she went on holiday and I said like when you get back don't don't go come back and think okay I need to catch up with everything on the first day and I need to be really really busy and get on top of everything can you give yourself the grace to say okay I'm going to take a few gentle days and then I'll then I'll like get back on top of things properly and I think giving yourself the leeway to have a like a gentle reintroduction of things it's so it feels so counterintuitive because we all just think and you just need to get into this like straight away hardcore like whether it be nutrition training um work etc and actually often what that does is we we don't revel in this calmness that we've got we just kind of go straight into it and get more stress and then don't think you'll have calmness from a disruptive few weeks away with work and um, you might um but you don't want to add to that by giving yourself all this pressure to do everything perfectly straight away so just take it gently and and, and think what do I want to do what do I, what am I choosing to do that's going to help me feel good about myself mm. I think also as well not that we work with many perfectionists or anything like that but whether it's travel with work, whether it's being away with holiday or whatever else has gone on, you will be focusing on all of those things that dropped off. And I mean, I spoke with this client this week. There were loads of things that she kept consistent, loads of those like fundamental non-negotiables that she kept consistent with. But obviously the mindset is, yeah, but what I didn't achieve, I need to pick back up. And I think it's a case of also like reflecting and celebrating the wins during that time when it was really difficult and disruptive. Mm. I think it's so important to recognize that anything that you're doing right now is not there to be done every day for the rest of your life. It's there to support yourself and to support these times that like you don't manage to do everything that you've got this bank of, of, you know, self-support and compassion and mindfulness and, and healthy body and all of these things so that those times it does feel harder or it is more difficult, you've got all of that bank there and you're just riding with it until that part is over. I checked in with my coach. So everyone who listens to this knows I have a coach who does my training. I checked in with them yesterday and it was, and I, I sent him a 30 second voice note because that's how I check in because I don't like to do the forms and that's why <laughs> I'm awful. But it's only because like he literally does my training program and I don't do like, I don't do anything else in terms of lifestyle or anything. And I was like, hi, quick checking for me today. I'm not trained at all. I did one session on Friday, but I was in a bodybuilding gym. So I just didn't do my session properly. And um, I'll hopefully train tonight. Okay, bye. And I was like, I am the worst. I am the worst. I've paid this man to do my programming. And then I'm like, oh, could we change this? Could we change this? And actually, I haven't done anything this week. And I was laughing to myself because when I had a coach when I was competing, I would never, I would, the thought of say, checking in and saying, I haven't done like this stuff is was like, it was just awful. I would never allow myself to do it. I would never lie, but I would just always do everything. Whereas this time I'm like, no, I've been away. So it's like, and I, I just wish that, I hope that everyone can get to the point, especially with our coaching by the end of like, okay, this is life. Everything slots in most of the time when we can and in the weeks that we can, I'm going to enjoy them for what they are and then just crack on with life again. Okay, Becca's question. I'm aware that my years of yo-yo dieting, poor relationship with food and body image has had a significant effect on my children's relationship with food. As I'm just starting to understand and learn so much about myself, thanks to coaching with Becca, how can I possibly ever help my children with their food, body image, etc.? I do feel guilty about it and want to start being a better model influence on my children. Although they are now at university, how would you go about this? And is it 
far too late. Firstly, I would say you've already started because you're doing this work with Becca. And I don't think, secondly, I don't think it's ever too late. I mean, I think we often talk about kind of um, more so relationship with food when you've got younger kids. But I think with your children at uni, like you can have that open conversation. And I don't, I don't know, how would, how would you go? I, I'm thinking, obviously lean into vulnerability and maybe talk about kind of what you're working through and what improvements you've found or I don't know ask them ask them how how they're going and how they're feeling about things yeah I agree I think I'm hearing a lot of like guilt around this and there's no reason to feel guilty we all learn these things at a different point in our life and I think what's incredible now and what I, I certainly notice is when I'm, as I'm working with you know 22 year olds sometimes and I'm like wow I, I can't imagine having that relationship with food when I was 22 my life would have been totally different and uh, I, and I'm sure I've had an impact on my friends with my silly food rules and my silly quest to be thin and those conversations that I would had with friends and feeling guilty for that is really unhelpful or like my sister I'm sure I've had an impact on my sister in the way that like I choose to do things and but there's no benefit to sitting with that and thinking I've done something wrong here because you ha- like you haven't done anything wrong and there's that Maya Angelou quote of when you know better do better and now it's like okay well now you know better and there was no reason that you would know any different until this point so give yourself like show yourself some compassion and give yourself that grace to say I've always been doing the best I could from from what I knew and where I was and now I'm doing things differently and I have an opportunity to have these conversations with my children now like you said Anna it's a it's amazing when you're when you're got adult children and obviously we don't but like we are adult children and I speak to my mom I speak to my sister I speak to people about this sort of stuff all the time and 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 actually with my mom often it's the other way around where I'm like oh that's an interesting rule that you set yourself or I always ask her like I remember asking her about like the should rule about how many pastries should have and and so I think it's just a really lovely opportunity for you to 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 have this conversation with your adult children and say oh I'm doing this like this work and you don't have to share everything with them and I know sometimes that parent child dynamic is like I don't know how much I want to share with my child and that's like that's totally valid you don't have to do that but like just have the conversation and say oh you know like I'm learning that actually I don't know let's take an example that like that you might see over here right as parents saying to their kids like you can't have that it's too much sugar for example um you could you could have that discussion say oh I'm I feel like I, I remember I used to always say like you shouldn't you shouldn't have sugar and I stopped you from having any of it at all and what I've learned is actually a bit of sugar is totally fine and um and then just have like have that discussion and and then your children are one resilient and two will be able to go and have that discussion or like go and look at look into things themselves and you again you can have conversations about body image with them and you can like you can be mindful of the compliments you give your children about how they look when they come home or um anything like that or like celebrating and I know that you'll probably do this anyway but celebrating all the stuff they're doing at uni and the connections they're making and all these things rather than like you know you've gained weight or lost weight which I'm sure you wouldn't do anyway but yeah I just think the key is really 
giving yourself that grace to to now know better and to do differently and you know the generation above us who raised us get a lot of slack about you know forcing us to stay at the dinner table to finish our meals and all this stuff and it's like why would they have done any different that was what was done and and you did what was done and that that was the right thing at that time and now we know different um when in a fat loss phase what is the best way to keep protein and fiber up whilst maintaining low calories if trying to be mindful of not eating meat wherever possible good luck my friend (laughs) Um, look i think we've said this many times before if you're vegetarian and worse i say worse if you're vegan i just mean more difficult if you're vegan you will have to like you do make some sacrifices so for example if you eat meat you might have um a chicken stir fry with rice if you're vegetarian you might have um a linda mccartney stir fry with vegetables and you don't have carbs with it because carbs are in that that quote-unquote meat source and i think i think unfortunately that is part of being vegetarian is that your protein sources in general are higher in carb and so it's more about kind of reducing the carb sources that the the additional carb sources that you'll have with with those meals um if you're vegetarian you can still have things like dairy and um obviously whey protein and and if you're vegan then a a protein supplement blend etc um which which will help um but realistically that's that's kind of the only it's not even a hack it's just the reality of it yeah yeah I think when I was being when I used to track and was probably well the last time I dieted was when I was a client with you and I would I can't think like take stir fry for example I would rather have the noodles than a vegetarian protein sauce uh, in that meal and then just have a yogurt on on the side so I still hit my protein and it's yeah yeah yeah, I think I was talking to my sister-in-law about this actually, about kind of focusing on protein intake and she's vegetarian and she was like, oh, so, so, so if I have two sausages and two baby bells, obviously baby bells. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you could do that. But remember that if you just want to eat with the kids or whatever, you can just have some like um, Greek yogurt afterwards. And that's that's also fine. It doesn't have to be like this picture perfect square meal of this much quote-unquote dinner protein and you know you can mix it up it's like oh I didn't think about that I think that's a really an easy one um okay Steph's client question this is a long one so pay attention is it normal to feel like you have got a got to a good place with your relationship with food in brackets carb overeating can have any food in the house reasonably good at eating mindfully consistently eating for both health and enjoyment but still feel like you have absolutely trash body image I think I treat my body with respect in terms of actions, open brackets, eating, training, rest. But in terms of what I see, I see almost nothing but flaws. Okay, the second one is the second question, so I'll stop there. I love the is is it normal questions. I mean, it's your experience. So yes, in in that sense. Um, We talk about kind of how improving your relationship with food has a knock-on impact on body image and vice versa. And sometimes these things just take a little bit longer to kind of work through 
but I think you're aware of like, actively seeking out flaws, which means you can stop that part and interrupt that part. And I think holding yourself accountable to doing that is good. Well, that would be where I would start and then speaking to yourself more compassionately. Like look at the language that you use. How can you work to replace it with something kinder? Yeah, I agree. And and look, often uh, a positive relationship with food is associated with a more positive body image. And this kind of ties back to that first topic that we had about intuitive eating or eating intuitively. Um, and so often they do come hand in hand, but improving your relationship with food won't necessarily improve your body image and vice versa. And that's why with the ATPHD method, we have these fundamental pillars that we focus on both of these things separately and together for a reason. I think what might be quite helpful is to look at um, what, like, what is your reason? What, like, what do you think is the real benefit of this type of relationship with your body? And what I mean by that is somewhere within you that feels helpful to be so critical of your body and it might not be obvious but it might give you a sense of control it might be some sort of uh fear that you have around well what if I'm nice to my body what's like what if I'm kind to my body what will happen if I start speaking to it nicely and stop criticizing myself what what are my fears around that what do I think is going to happen it might also be this really ingrained process that you have that that you've had for years and years and years. And, and I'm not going to get into like, you know, it's not for me to say where that might have developed from, but there's probably somewhere where that was ignited in you. And and that has become so normal that it feels really, really unnatural and really abnormal to try and do something different, no matter what your relationship with food is. And I think that don't underestimate the impact that improving your relationship with food to some degree will have had on that in the sense of if you're managing to eating to nourish your body and for health that is that is a sign of a more positive body image so just because you don't look at your body and think I'm totally content with where I am that could be an unrealistic expectation and I did a podcast with someone um um earlier this week which is coming out I think in a couple of weeks and we were speaking all about body image and, and this idea this expectation that we have that of a, what a positive body image is and people say well I have a bad body image day a bad body image day doesn't mean you have poor body image you know and we, we speak about this all the time but like managing your expectations you might never look in the mirror and think I absolutely love all these things the idea is that you're not looking for the flaws and, and like Anna said holding yourself accountable to that um it's really helpful the second part of this question, is it normal for body image work to trigger loads of anger? I feel angry that I can't diet. I feel angry that my body won't just settle where I want it to be. I feel angry that no matter what I do or weigh, I still hate my body, what my body looks like. Honestly, just walking around like a ball of fury. Um, in brackets, love Steph and never angry at her. But Jesus, this person is hard. Again, yeah, it's it's your experience. And I think we don't often speak enough about the anger, the grief, those really uncomfortable feelings that can come up 
doing the process and working to to do these things and naturally I'm going to say like journal and explore what's going on for you what where is this anger coming from where is this kind of fight for your body to be this certain size and shape and kind of what's what's the alternative if it doesn't end up the way that you want it Mm. I think one thing to say by the way is congratulations for feeling angry as a woman we often feel a lot of guilt and shame around feeling anger as if it's not an emotion that women are supposed to feel like good for you I'm proud of you for saying yeah I'm actually raging good like great you're feeling it get it out do something to just like release that anger or sit with it and know that you can sit with it and that's okay um so that's one thing I would say I think I think also this also ties into managing your expectations so similar to what I was just saying in the sense of one of the biggest sources of anger and resentment that we feel as human beings is unmet expectations and if you have this expectation of what a good body a positive body image looks like and you're not there and you're doing all of this work of course you are frustrated and angry because what like why are you not there yet when you're doing all of this work that would be that would make you angry that's totally valid um so I think it's less about like is it normal and and more about like that is your experience similar to the last question too um I would like to say that it will dissipate over time but look at your expectations and and what those expectations are you know the time frame of those like what you think a positive body image is um and see if you can not lower your expectations I don't want anyone to have low expectations but keep realistic expectations of of what that might be I'm going through a change to my health and at times it feels overwhelming and sad I'm struggling to hold space for other people's problems right now any advice on coming out of my own head to hold space for others why <laughs> listen I listen we're all coaches we love to hold space for other people and we love to support other people but do you know what there are certain times in your life when that is difficult and I don't mean in the coaching sense because that's that's our work and we will always show up and hold space because that's our work but I'll tell you what, I don't always manage to do it well with my friends and my family. And sometimes I don't hold enough space for certain things that's going on in my life because I, I'm trying to hold space for the people at work and and manage my own stuff. And I think, give like, again, show yourself some grace of just really, can you just, can you just say right now, I need to focus on supporting myself. And rather than feeling guilt, shame, selfishness around that, like, what is that saying like the fully saying the flies you have to put your own oxygen mask on first and I know that's a bit of a cliche but it's genuinely true what kind of space do you think you're holding for someone if the whole time you're struggling with your own stuff and it like it adds to your energy um so I mean look you don't want it to be in that situation ideally for years and years because that's like you want to support the people and I'm sure by the signs of things you get a lot of value from supporting other people and maybe you find a little bit of your identity in supporting other people and just be mindful of those things and can you just sit with not doing it and it might feel uncomfortable because if you if you do find a lot of your um connection built on you being this person that 
supports other people and helps other people and, and it can feel very uncomfortable but being an adult and being in these kind of relationships that are balanced and fair means that some, sometimes you will be that person that can hold space and support other people and other times you need to be able to lean on those people too and let them hold space for you and what's your discomfort with that like do you have discomfort with that and why do you think that you have discomfort with that and when you look at building healthy connections do you really think that they're built on one person doing all of this stuff or do you think they're built on this reciprocal vulnerability and support Mm -hmm. I was thinking it's like one of the early episodes of Brene Brown isn't it when she talks about her husband her and her husband and having that check in with themselves and like where they're at the percentage that they're at and I mean it's something obviously that's to do with like relationship with them but I think that's something that you maybe could try checking in with yourself and going okay like how much capacity do I have to to hold space for other people if you're at kind of I don't know it's going to look different for everybody but I know if I'm kind of say 70 percent, I've not got a lot of space for anyone else I need to kind of look after me before I can before I can hold space or work more or whatever that that might look like put energy into anything else I need to look after me and and maybe thinking it of like I said capacity and how much energy you have I think feels a little bit softer than if you you know like almost talking about boundaries boundaries can feel quite hard and whereas you go right okay well what can I physically take on right now I don't have the capacity for this that feels a little bit softer Mm, absolutely okay uh denies question client's question allowing myself genuine unconditional permission to eat has been key in my progress so far however I do still have a fat loss goal how have you helped other clients move from unconditional permission to some form of restriction for fat loss without falling back into the quote-unquote forbidden foods mindset and then binging and overeating i mean it's something that we say to clients when they're working on fat loss is that you still have unconditional permission to eat and keeping that in mind so that you're not falling into that mindset and I guess having those check-ins with yourself like part of unconditional permission to eat means that you don't have to eat it there and then you can eat it at another time and I guess always having that that check-in with yourself it might be kind of more situational where if it's a meal out with friends and I don't know, connection is one of your values, then embracing that that experience, that meal out brings you closer to that value. But equally, if it's just kind of a midweek catch up with your friend, then, and you're not that fussed for it, then you might make a different option. Yeah, I agree. I did a whole episode on this, episode number 93 of the A to PhD team podcast that is literally about balancing unconditional permission to eat with fat loss. So listen to that episode. Um. Yeah, all of our clients have unconditional permission to eat always. I think coming back to checking in with your goals, whenever you're, like, if you're on a fat loss journey, you're choosing to diet. You don't have to diet. 
that's a choice you want to make and when these situations arise when you're dieting and maybe some sort of food is available to you if you choose to have it you own it and say I'm choosing to have this I have unconditional permission to eat and know that if it's there you can have it if you want to but if you don't have it you're choosing not to have it it's not that you can't have it it's that you're choosing not to have it because it's not aligned it's not that that food is not aligned with your goals but maybe going over your calorie intake is not aligned with your goals and that's very different from saying I can't have it and we know from the research that people who frame fat loss and food choices around fat loss as um, get to and want to rather than have to have better outcomes in terms of their um, overall fat loss journeys Um, and it's going to be much better for your relationship with food so I think regardless of you know your situation with this if you're in a in a position where you're trying to diet and drop body fat always know that it's a choice and there's no there are no rules well unless you're working with a silly coach who has food rules and from our side of things there are never any rules and there are never any expectations because they're your goals we want you to achieve what you want to achieve and so any decision that you make is because you want to do it because it's aligned with what you want and you value and that's just a completely different um framing of it than i can't have donuts ever again because it doesn't because it's bad for fat loss i'd love some examples of non-aesthetic body appreciations i'm struggling after a few days and would love some ideas Ooh, non-aesthetic obviously there's the movement ones you know I'm grateful that my body allowed me to go for a walk this morning. I'm grateful that I could taste my oat milk latte this morning. Mm. Um, grateful that you know that you can digest food. Grateful that you can hug your family. Grateful that you can see. I can see the little squirrel bathing outside of my garden. That's always out there. Yeah, I I, I mean I think that that's just it, isn't it? Like internal processes senses feelings consider what you'd miss if your body didn't allow you to do it that can be a good one of just flipping everything on your head and I think then you just get a deeper appreciation for everything in general yeah when we're looking at body functionality there's like those six domains like you said so internal processes like you, like we've said physical capacities i.e going to the gym going for a walk doing your yoga and um, bodily senses and sensations being able to smell the cake that's cooking or oh, well, when i stayed at my partner's parents house at the weekend and um, every day i woke up there was just like this new smell coming from the kitchen and <laughs> mom would just be like i've made i've made pancakes this morning or i've made omelettes this morning every day oatmeal every day I went in and, and it was just like a new smell coming from the kitchen it was actually so I'm grateful for the smells and being able to taste it um also fourth creative endeavors so being grateful for any sort of creative endeavors that you do dancing mm. do you know what I've tried I've started uh watercolors I'm gonna I know I know I'm trying to I feel like I have a bit of a creative block at the moment and I was speaking to my friend about it the reason I went with watercolors because I was like oh, I was so excited like as a kid I used to love art and I was like I'm gonna like try and do something to get back into it and I was looking at all the nice like crayons pencils 
coloring books and I was like there's lines that's not creative enough you've got less control with watercolors let's try that <laughs> nice oh okay share them when you've done some I want to see <laughs> I will I will be like what is it who knows <laughs> oh that's very creative um what's the last one the last few self-care and communication those two so again how can how has your body allowed you to communicate with others how has your body allowed you to support self-care so break it down into those kind of six areas and then think okay where can I appreciate my body in these six areas okay great questions thanks so much um keep them coming in thanks Anna so much thanks now for a second bye Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.